around three years ago, I thought I was going to become a gym baddie, right? I thought I was going to go to the gym, get in shape. It was right before I was going to get married. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose all this weight. It's going to be great. It didn't happen. Here's why. There was this one day I was going to the gym and I don't know what I'm doing. I really don't know what I'm doing at all. But this day I'm like, I'm going to do cardio but I was going to graduate from the cardio that I was doing because I had been doing the elliptical, but I was like, I'm going to do the treadmill today. And I have not ran since my freshman year in high school. So really, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I get to the gym, I hop on the treadmill and I start running. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I do like a little light jaunt, right? You, you turn it up and I, I'm doing a little light jaunt. And then I'm feeling real confident. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. I raise it up. Feels good. I'm feeling really good. It's, this is feeling too easy. Those of you guys who are runners probably know for somebody who's very out of shape, what's going to happen. Still, I'm running. Hey, this is feeling still pretty easy. So I raise it up some more. And I raise it up to the point where I eventually feel like, okay, this is where I feel good. Now here's the point. I am running and as I'm running, I have in my headphones, but I am not rich. So I had regular wired headphones and it was attached to my phone and I was watching a YouTube video in front of me. I went to go grab my phone while I'm running and like change what I was watching. And it happened in a millisecond. My phone falls to the ground. I reach for my phone and in a second I fall. I fall horrendously like I hit the floor I am in pain falling is awful because everybody was at the gym this gym was packed if you go to your local gym you know that these things are packed to the brim I went after work so of course it was full the worst part of this though was not the fall it was post fall because I had been running my little lights out and I am out of shape and I had no cool down period so if you know anything about this, what happened to me was my body went into shock and I could not breathe and I could not physically move. So the treadmill is going, I'm on the floor and I can't move and I can't breathe and nobody comes to help me. It's not their job to come and help me, but geez Louise, I'm there and I can't breathe. And even when I can't breathe and can't move, I still feel this heavy burden of shame and embarrassment. Like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is happening. They're all watching me. I look so dumb. Okay. I am laying on the floor. I cannot move. I decide I, because of the embarrassment, I need to find a way to get out of the middle of the aisle. So I literally drag my body across the floor to like a wall so I can lay against the wall. And I'm there for 10 minutes. And still the embarrassment is too high because I can't, I still can't move. So I'm like, I just need to find a way to get to my car because I cannot sit here any longer. I'm dying of embarrassment and shame. So I, with all the power in my body, I get up, I'm hanging onto the walls. I'm holding on to the rails and I'm like walking my way to my car and I'm, I'm like dizzy. It's crazy. I, I'm telling you, my body was in shock. I finally make it to my car and I 
put my seat back and I fall asleep for the next 45 minutes. I just knock out. When I wake up from this crazy shock nap that I took, I immediately turn on my car and I drive away from this gym the whole time thinking, I am never going to come back to this gym ever again. I am too embarrassed. And I didn't. I never went back to that gym. In fact, I never went back to another gym ever again. Today, we are going to be reading about the Samaritan woman at the well. An iconic story, right? And we'll get into it. But she said something when I was reading that transports me back to that moment at the gym when all I wanted to do was leave that place and never come back. She says to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come back here to draw water anymore. Let's talk about it. Welcome to the Basic Bible Babe podcast. I'm your Basic Bible Babe, Brooke Ashley, and I'm not a theologian, but chances are you aren't either. But you don't have to be one to understand and fall in love with the Bible. So here, the goal is simple, to motivate each other to move past those things that stop us from reading the Bible and to become a people that understand and appreciate the Bible for what it is, incredible. So remember, the Word of God is for you and it's relevant to your life today. Let's dive in. How are you guys doing? Um, I have been really enjoying doing this podcast. Um, Once again, I'm a couple episodes behind what you guys are up to, so I don't really know how you guys are feeling. I hope well. I have my Red Bull here with me. I do not uh, drink coffee. I don't drink soda. I don't drink caffeine. So lately I've been very, very tired. And so now when I come back from work, I have to work on the podcast and I have to get up and still make sure my house is clean and all this stuff. So I was like, man, what can I do to make sure that I still stay motivated and don't just immediately come home and take a nap? It's been Red Bull. The answer has been Red Bull. And I know that coffee is probably better for you. And I don't know. I chose the worst of them because here's what even in my Red Bull it's not just a Red Bull it's what uh Dutch Brothers does with their Rebel drinks and I put like syrup in it like strawberry syrup so it's delicious but it's also keeping me motivated this is the um official beginning of my busy season I have don't usually have like a busy season. Like, I mean, I guess every year there's always a season that's busier than the others. But this coming week where we're going on Friday is the official beginning of like when I'm like, oh man, I have a lot to do for the next couple months. And it doesn't stop here. Like it, it's, it's August, September and October. So I'm going to be, I don't know. I, we, the recommended reading for this week was John two through four. This took me so long to write. Um, yeah. So let's see how we feel. I'm only going to do two chapters next week because it was very long, but let us get into it. The recommended reading for this week was John two through four. And we have so many iconic stories. If you guys are reading along with me, you guys know, like there was just story after story after story of things that we know from the Bible, right? So John has been a very, very easy book to cover because there's so many things to talk about because I feel like we all know this very well. I'm scared now for the next book that I read because I'm like, man, will it be this easy? This was super easy. Let's go ahead and get started with the summary. We start in John 2. Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry. He has not even gone 
public yet. So what does that mean? Like he hasn't started performing miracles and healing people and doing all these crazy signs and wonders. He has not gone public with his ministry. So Jesus is at a wedding and his disciples aren't invited with him, which makes me wonder why his disciples were invited. I am married. And when I got married, I know, okay, I know weddings were probably so culturally different. There's so different, right? But when I think of my wedding, somebody was so lucky and blessed if they got a plus one. I really liked you if, I, if you got a plus one at my wedding, let alone 12. Jesus just had 12 plus ones. That's insane. No, he had a plus 12, I guess you would say. Um, yes, I realize the cultures are probably different, so more people were probably invited, but still, it makes me wonder if Jesus had already garnered a reputation that his disciples went with him everywhere that he did, and if Jesus was kind of well-respected and renowned already as far as like somebody who's very wise, because why would he have gotten so many extra invites? <laughs> so at this wedding, Jesus's mother comes up to him and casually says, hey, they have no wine. And Jesus says something insane in response to this. What he says is, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. <gasps> Jesus, what in the world? I cannot believe he just called his mother woman. If I ever talk to my mom like that. I cannot imagine. My um, my mom's name is Angela. She doesn't have a nickname. Um, I call her mom, but most people call her Angela. So I thought it would be funny a couple of years ago. I like nicknames, okay? I love calling people by nicknames. So what I called my mom was Angie. I was like, hey, Angie. And you guys, she hates it so much. First of all, because I'm not calling her mom. She's my mom, right? But she also doesn't like the when I call her Angie. It's just not her name. She's never been called by Angie. So she gets so upset when I call her Angie. It's a sign of disrespect. I'm sorry, mom. I love you so much. Love you, Angie. Now, I cannot imagine what would go through my mother's mind if I called her woman. <gasps> my goodness, Jesus, you have some explaining to do. So Mary goes up to the servants and says to them, do whatever he tells you. Which brings me to my first question of the episode. Mary knew that her son was the Messiah, right? They, like, you know, an angel came down and said, hey, you're carrying the Messiah. So she already knew that her son was God, was was incredible, was this amazing thing. But Jesus had not done any miracles publicly yet. Here's my question. What had Mary already seen in the privacy of her home that let her know that Jesus was capable of solving this problem? This is not a healing. This was not extreme wisdom like he had already displayed in the other gospels. This is a straight up like, miracle for entertainment. <laughs> was he already performing miracles privately in their home? Had she maybe already seen him heal her or heal himself or pray over things and see them change? Maybe they were like, hey, we ran out of oil. And Jesus was like, hey, go check that pot over there. I'm going to change it from water into oil or something. What had Jesus already displayed 
that made her know that Jesus was capable of solving this problem. So maybe he had already done private miracles right in their home. We don't know. But something else that also I was thinking about was uh, my mom. And my mom, I think mothers are given this special like spiritual instinct, especially a praying mother, especially a woman of God. Because when I was in high school and I was doing my own thing and I wanted to be wild and sinful and crazy, my mom had this motherly instinct and knew exactly how to direct me. I remember I had plans to do bad things. I was like, I'm going to do bad things today. And out of nowhere, my mom would call me that day and be like, what's up? Something's going on. I had a dream about you. Or like the spirit is telling me that like you're up to no good. And she did it in a loving way. She always did. I remember these phone calls and I was like, no way. But after I hung up with her, I was thinking like, hey, I better not do these bad things because God is talking to my mama. He's telling her things. God had given her a special motherly instinct to come and to help me and to guide me as her child. And I believe that maybe Jesus's mother, Mary, was operating on this same spirit-given instinct to help her guide her son. And, you know, when we think of that, like, why did Jesus, you know, God incarnate, need provision from his mom, right? But God placed Mary there for a specific reason. She was still called to lead her son. So I believe that maybe that the spirit was leading her and helping her to guide her son in this moment, to into inviting him into the public part of his ministry. I don't know. I don't know this for sure. It's very interesting. That was my first question. If you have any other thoughts, go ahead and comment it on Instagram. I'm going to post a, a, like a post with all these questions that I had from today's episode. And you guys can kind of comment what you guys think about it. We move on. There were some jars. Jesus tells the servants to fill them with water. And then he tells them to take some out and to take it to the master of the feast. And when the master of the feast tries it, it's wine. The water is turned into wine. And he says to the bridegroom, boy, oh boy, this is some good wine, right? He's probably drunk out of his mind at this point. But he says, boy, oh boy, this is some good wine. Usually people serve the good wine first, but not y'all. Y'all saved the best for last. The thing is that, so not a lot of people knew that Jesus had turned water into wine, but you know who did see was the disciples. They saw this and they believed in him. So next, Jesus went up to Jerusalem with his disciples because of the Passover feast. And what the Passover feast is, it's when the Jews celebrate Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Remember Moses, like, let my people go. And they have special feasts and rituals and an overall celebration. So it's a really, really, really important celebration in the Jewish customs. Passover begins on the day of, on the 15th day of the Hebrew month of Nisan, March or April, and it goes on for eight days. So Jesus was in the temple. And remember, everybody and their mamas literally is in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This is where they celebrate. So this temple, it's a packed house. And when he was in the temple, he saw people were selling their animals and the money changers there. And yeah, you guys probably know where this is going. He did not like that. So what did Jesus do? He, <laughs> he makes a whip, right? 
And he starts to get this whip and drive all of those people out of the temple. He famously flips over some tables and he threw all their coins on the floor. And he said to them, do not make my father's house a house of trade. Okay. And I know this story brings up some questions. Reading this and seeing how Jesus behaves, I'm going to say it. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm like a non-confrontational person. So like seeing this, this straight up confrontation, it makes me uncomfortable. I think we need some sort of like alarm or something. When reading the Bible, we feel uncomfortable. Like, you know, like something like a little like comfort alert, right? I'm gonna work on that. So when I feel this way, when I start to feel uncomfortable when I'm reading the Bible, I have to ask myself, why does this make me uncomfortable What part of my flesh is this wrestling with? And I'm going to say it. I'm going to say why I think this made me uncomfortable. I think it's because I relate to the money changers in this story. I relate to the people whose table he flipped over. I think a lot of westernized churches probably do. We have coffee shops and merch and bingo nights. It's capitalism. We've infused capitalism into our churches. Everything is a business nowadays. And I'm not saying, hear me out, don't get mad at me yet, okay? I am not saying that this is inherently bad because it's not. But what I am saying, I think the most important thing to remember is that God is holy. His house has to be holy and revered Otherwise, he cannot abide there. I think everything that we do when it comes to the house of God has to be handled with care. How the church spends their money, it's not just a business matter, it's a holy matter. Why are we fundraising? Is this for personal gain or for the kingdom? You know what? It matters because it's a holy matter because he is holy. And this extends beyond the temple, right? Beyond the church. But it also needs to be brought up in our personal ministries. I am personally, and hear me out, this is because I am a singer, right? But I am very wary of the Christian music industry. I got side eyes for it, okay? I squint my eyes in suspicion because I have seen it take wonderful artists and turn them into money changers. I've seen industry take wonderful speakers with a sacred and holy gift from God and turn them into faith healers on TV that charge you for healing from God. They became money changers. And I'm not judging these people, you guys, because this is just the reality. This is something that we have to face in this modern age. And even back then, right? This is something that we that is still a relevant topic to bring up. And this is something that Jesus was addressing even back then. How do we prevent this in our ministries and in our churches? We treat every matter, business, administrative, financial, as a holy matter. I can't afford to leave God out of any part of my church, out of any part of my ministry, because God cannot abide in a house that is not holy. So I think that's why that made me uncomfortable. It was God inviting me to understand how important it is to hold him and his house in reverence in every aspect, even the parts that we think, ah, God doesn't really want to be a part of the business. He does. He does. It's important to him. 
Wrestle with that uncomfort, y'all. Let God convict you. Don't be afraid to question. And even if you don't find the answer right away, keep going. We move on. The disciples remembered that in prophecy about the Messiah, that it was written about the Messiah, that zeal for your house will consume me. So to them, this is only further confirming that Jesus is the Messiah. The Jews come to Jesus, right? They're not happy. And they say to him, who do you think you are? And when we say the Jews, it's the Pharisees, right? They come to Jesus and they say, who do you think you are? Why do you think you can do this? What gives you the right? And Jesus says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And they say to him, it took 46 years to build this temple. And you think you can raise it up in three days? But of course, Jesus was talking about the temple of his body. He was prophesying and the disciples make note of this and they remember that conversation after his death. So after he dies, he's like, hey, he was talking about the temple of his body, you know. Jesus is still in Jerusalem and many people start believing in him because they've seen all the signs. But the Bible says that Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. In other words, man was jacked up. We're not good. So they wouldn't have handled Jesus well. And let this be a reminder to me that we like to believe that Jesus will just abide with anyone and everyone. And Jesus will love you. He will visit you. He will help you. But there's a difference between abiding with Christ and visiting with Christ. Jesus will not abide with or entrust himself fully to a man that cannot be trusted. The Bible says, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully. So when it's saying, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? That means who's going to abide with Christ? Who's going to live with him? Who shall stand in his holy place? You guys, it's those with clean hands and a pure heart. We have to make sure that if we want to be somebody that Jesus can entrust himself with, if, you want, if we want to abide with Christ, we have to make sure we have clean hands and a pure heart and that we can be trusted with the Holy Spirit. I don't want you guys to think that I'm thinking that I think that we need to be perfect to uh, have God come down and help us in any way. Nope, that's not what I said. What I said was, I want to live with Jesus. And if I want to live with Jesus, I have to make sure that I'm doing what I can to keep myself pure for him. And it's hard. Jeez, I mess up on the daily. But what does the Bible say about righteousness? It says that the righteous man falls seven times but gets up again. That's what righteousness is. We got to keep getting up. We got to keep trying. We got to keep pushing. You know what I mean? Chapter three, a Pharisee named Nicodemus comes up to Jesus at night, probably to be like sneaky, right? Everything that's done at night is like sneakiness. You know, he didn't want his Pharisees to see his Pharisee bros to see that he was talking to Jesus because Pharisees hated Jesus. Well, Nicodemus says to Jesus, you must be a teacher sent by God because only someone sent by God could do the miracles that you can do. And you can tell that with the statement that Nicodemus is kind of wrestling with what he's heard about Jesus from the Pharisees and also what he's feeling about Jesus. He's confused. So he's giving Jesus an opportunity to explain himself. And Jesus says to him, unless a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Now you and I, 
most of us have heard this term born again. But can you imagine the first time this phrase was ever stated? And this term confuses Nicodemus. And he basically asks, how is that possible? Do I climb back into my mother's womb? And like, fair question, right? Jesus, we need some clarification. So Jesus clarifies and said, you need to be born of water and of the spirit, speaking of baptism and the Holy Spirit. So this brings me to my next question. Why is it so important that we are born again? Why are we using this term born again? And the next scripture helps to answer this for us. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we are born into the flesh, right? The Bible says that we are born into sin. We are born into flesh. We're automatically born to sin. Unfortunately, that's the way of the world. But when we are born again, we are vowing to die to our flesh and to be born again into the spirit. We are made new creatures in Christ. It's awesome. My camera overheated. It's so fun. I love it so much. I hate recording for YouTube, you guys. If you are watching this on YouTube, like this because I want to quit YouTube. So that's why I think it's important that we use that term born again, because it shows that we're new. We now can choose to live according to the spirit. So then Jesus says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So Jesus is really laying it on thick with Nicodemus with all of like The metaphors can be kind of confusing. So I sat with the scripture and I didn't quite understand it. I was a little confused like Nicodemus. But I believe what he means is it's referring to the spirit. So let's substitute the word wind for spirit. So it says the wind blows. But let's say the spirit blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So the people who are born again of the spirit are sensitive and submissive to the spirit. Even if we don't understand everything about it and we can't see it, we don't know its next move and it's not going to explain it to us, right? We just have to be ready and willing to be submissive to the spirit. Nicodemus still doesn't get it. So finally, Jesus says to him, I'm talking to you about things that you have seen, things that you can bear witness to, and you're still choosing to not believe. If you're having such a hard time comprehending earthly things, Imagine if I tried to tell you heavenly things. That one convicted me, okay? Because I want to increase my understanding with the Lord so much that when he speaks to me, that he can not only trust me with earthly things, but he can also trust me with heavenly things. I want him to be able to talk to me and I understand. I know him so well. I know the way that he speaks. You know what I mean? He says, no one has ever seen heaven. You have never seen heaven. And the only way you or anyone will ever see heaven is by believing in me. We move on to the famous scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus shares the testimony that he is the light of the world. He has not come to condemn the world, but rather to save it. But he uses this analogy that because he's the light, people don't like to come into the light because their evil works get exposed. They're out in the open, so they're no longer hidden by darkness. 
It's why a lot of like crimes, bad, bad crimes are committed at night, right? And it's why when we are sinning, it's hard for us to come to God because we feel nice and exposed. We feel out in the open. After this, Jesus and his disciples start baptizing, but they're in a part of the country where water is plentiful, so John is baptizing super close by. Well, one of John's disciples says, hey, what the heck? Jesus, the one that you said was the Messiah, well, everyone is going to him to get baptized, right? It's getting a little competitive. They're both baptizing side by side, and maybe John like ran out of people, and Jesus has a big old line, right? And when I read this, I'm kind of like, duh. Isn't that the point? You guys are pointing people to the Messiah. It is literally so dumb to get jealous over Jesus. But then I remember that sometimes I do this too. I sometimes make ministry a competition, you guys. I'm really putting myself out there. I can make ministry a competition or about what I'm doing for the kingdom versus what other people are doing for the kingdom. How many people did your church baptize? How big is your church building? How many streams did your new song get? Where are you speaking at? And I just think it's important for us to bring it back to square one and to remember what true ministry is about. Someone is coming to Christ We can't compare ourselves to others, you guys. Our ministry is important relative to what Jesus has called us to do. So John reminds his friend, I'm not the Christ. I came to bear witness. He must increase and I must decrease. Iconic John. John the Baptist, that is iconic. It's one of my favorite statements in the Bible, and it's a statement that I take with me in my ministry. I've been praying it in in my, uh, my own personal prayer time. Uh, My friend Draylen Young has this really cool song and it's called Unseen. And here's the chorus. It says, so less of me and more of you because all the glory belongs to you. And I decrease as you increase because Jesus, my desire is to be unseen. (gasps) How many of us really in this ministry, in this kingdom work want to be unseen? Or do we want people to applaud us for what we are doing? I can tell you that it feels lovely to have people applaud you for what we are doing. But I want to get to the point where what I am doing for God is not seen by people. Where it's all about making sure that Jesus gets all the glory for it, that God gets all the glory for everything that we are doing. It keeps us humble and it, and it keeps people coming to Christ and not to us. I try to pray this prayer while I'm in prayer on the reg because we are seeing throughout the scripture, even things that we are doing for God can get all screwed up and we can make it about self. But man, when you got a ministry that is really about people and honoring God, those are the ones to watch out for because those are the ones that make a difference. Chapter four, last chapter. Jesus started attracting attention because everyone was coming to him for baptism. So he got to bounce. He left where he was to go to Galilee. On their way there, they stopped at a well in Samaria. This was called Jacob's well. The disciples left to go find food and Jesus stayed because he was tired from traveling. I like that it mentions that he was tired because Are you ever tired and the last thing you want to do is talk to someone new? I'm like that. Sometimes when I'm tired, I'm like, oh my gosh, I I can't talk to another person. Like sometimes like after services, after like we've been like ministering for a long time or even just after a service I'm attending, I'm like, wow, that was a lot of work. 
I'm tired. I don't want to talk to anyone. And it's not because I don't like people, but it's because like, I don't know. I'm tired. Not Jesus. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well. Samaritans and Jews did not talk to each other. It was because of divide in the kingdom a long time ago. But the Jews called Samaritans. So remember, Jesus is a Jew. He, they call Samaritans half-breeds and dogs. So they didn't speak or mingle or keep company with each other at all. But when does this ever stop Jesus? Jesus tells the woman, the Samaritan woman, to give him a drink. And she was like, why are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew, if you haven't noticed. And Jesus said to her, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would have asked him for living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will never thirst again. And that's when she says the line that we talked about in the beginning. Sir, give me this water so that way I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. So we come back to the story from the beginning. Maybe somebody who is normal would read this and be like, yeah, she just doesn't want to go draw water anymore because it's inconvenient. But maybe if we read a little bit more into it and we understand the place that she was in, we can see maybe why she didn't want to come to that well anymore. Notice that it was 12 noon. This well is a hot spot, but most women want to go and get their water in the morning to avoid the heat, right? They're in a desert. So it's 12 noon. Why did she not go in the morning? Why did she go at 12 noon? Remember when I said I never wanted to go back to that gym? Well, why? It's because I was embarrassed and ashamed. I think she didn't want to go back to that well because she was ashamed. Maybe she heard the mutters of other women or maybe because she took one of their mans. Scandalous. I don't know. Absurd. But why am I speculating this? Well, Jesus basically puts it out in the open to her that he knows that she's had five husbands and the man that she's with right now isn't even her husband. So scandalous, right? So she says, okay, now I know that you're a prophet. But I believe that we're supposed to worship on this mountain while you Jews believe that Jerusalem is where people should worship. But Jesus says to her, hey, don't worry about that lady because the time is coming where you won't need to go to a mountain to worship. Instead, my father will be seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. This brings me to my final question of the episode. What does he mean by truth? What does it mean to worship in truth? Well, remember, what truth is he trying to reveal to her in this moment? What's the whole point of Jesus talking to her? What truth is he trying to get her to realize? Well, it's that he, Jesus, is the Christ, the son of the living God. To worship in truth means to know Jesus. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why I think there's a difference between worship and true worship. When somebody knows the truth, when somebody knows Jesus, has spent time with him one-on-one. Y'all, something powerful happens when a true worshiper worships. I have a message on this, but that is for another podcast. It's for another day. But what I'm saying is that if you want to see your worship change, get to know Jesus, the truth, intimately, one-on-one. Stop relying on Sundays and stop giving him a time limit. Know the truth. Spend time with the truth. All right. So she says, 
I know the Messiah is coming, right? She's, she's doing the same thing Nicodemus was doing. She's testing him. I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. So she's kind of inviting him, right, to reveal himself. So Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Right then, the disciples get back and they're all flabbergasted that he's talking to a Samaritan and a woman. So she runs off and tells all of her town. She says, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Is this the Messiah? You guys, when I started this podcast, I thought so many times and I still think, how many people are going to be like, who does she think she is, right? So how many people are going to look at me and be like, (laughs) why is she doing this? But you guys never let the fear of what people think about you or say about you stop you from spreading the good news because she had, she could have let so many things stop her, her reputation, the fact that he was a Jew and she was speaking to him. But she really believed what she was saying. So she spoke freely about it. And we have to, have to, have to be the same way. She changed so many people's lives that day. And your words can do the same. Stop being afraid of what people are going to say about you, you guys. And just do what God has called you to do. Jesus moves on. He finally makes it to Galilee. There was an official there who had an ill son. They were about to die, and he asked Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus says, you won't believe unless you see a miracle. Transactional faith, y'all. When we only believe if God will do something for us. God, heal my body. God, if you do this, I'll believe in you. And let me tell you what, from experience, it doesn't work that way. Because God will keep his part He'll keep his part of the bargain, but I guarantee you, we are not capable of keeping our own. God, if you heal my dad, I promise you, I'll serve you forever. No, you won't. No, you won't. Um, If you get me this job, I'll read my Bible every day and I'll give a portion of my paycheck to the poor. No, you probably won't. You know how I know this? Because I've said this. God, if you get me this job, I'm going to give so much of my paycheck to the poor. I didn't do it. We have to choose to believe in God, even if he doesn't heal. We have to choose to believe in God, even if he doesn't give us the miracle that we are seeking. I'm not saying it's wrong to ask God for miracles. It's lovely. It's one of the most wonderful parts of serving God, like that we get to see him manifest his glory and his power. But does your faith in him depend on that? Does it depend on these miracles? So Jesus says to him, right, you'll only believe if you see a miracle, but then he says, go, your son's going to live. The man goes back and his son was healed at the exact time that Jesus told him that his son was going to live. And that's it. That's John two through four. And we asked our questions along the way. So I don't have any more questions for you guys today. If you have any like different ideas for those questions, any different speculations or answers that you found in research or in your own head, Comment them on Instagram. I'm going to post a post with all these questions on there so that way we can get some little feedback. Or if you have anything else about the episode or about what you were reading in these chapters, let a girl know. I love, I love, love, love feedback. I'm not here to debate though. Don't get in there and don't get all crunk with all of us. You know what I mean? Like 
we're just here to for some conversation, healthy conversation. Our Instagram is the basic Bible babe. Um, so go on there, give us a follow, share with us what you got out of your own personal reading. I forgot to let you guys know the uh, suggested reading for next week. It is John 5 and 6. I repeat, that is John chapter 5 and 6. And do me a favor once again, share this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, on Spotify, because it helps. I think it helps boost. That's what everybody says. So I'm, uh, yeah, help boost this podcast by giving us a nice rate and review. Be nice to me. I'm sensitive. You already know this. You already know. Don't be mean to me. Question. Last question. Do you guys think I should go back? I want to go back to the gym, but there's two options. I can either go to Planet Fitness. There's one right by my house, or I can get the one that includes LA Fitness, which is the one where I had my whole debacle, and that will be my new gym. Um, what do I do? I might face my fear and go back to the LA fitness gym that I jacked myself up at. Pray for me.